my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Stars Aversary, part four of three. Yeah, um, to be honest, Joe, as it is our final episode of the year, this is my opportunity to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, were you saying that to me or to the audience? Both. Okay, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and yours as well, James. Coming up on today's show, as James mentioned, it is our season slash 2021 finale. You and your season finales. We have about three a year. I know. Look, Survivor is on season 40-something, but they've only been on for like 20 years. Anyway, uh, we are celebrating a year of some pretty big gets on this show with one final big get on this show. I'm going to cut to the chase. On today's podcast, we are having an absolute legend of the game, someone who has never done a poker podcast before. Eric Seidel is on today's show. Yeah. Now, just to be clear, Eric has done podcasts, but never a poker-themed podcast. Got it. Cool. Don't. I, I mean, I'm willing to lie about it anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, being right's never really been that big of a deal to me. Eric is going to uh, be here to bridge the gap between all the different eras and themes we've talked about for the past few weeks, tie it all together in a nice little bow. But before we get to that, we're going to recap the last little bits of the Poker Stars Big 20, who won what and how, and most importantly, who got the biggest piece of this week's $5 million guarantee. This week's super fan is, you're never going to believe this. So we allowed a two-time super fan for this week because it's a trivia based on the history of Poker yeah. Stars itself. Uh, if I lose, I get fired. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you know what? I'm going to save that for next year. <laughs> anyway, we, we opened it up to everyone coming back on board. Yeah. Uh, and we had a lottery uh, to see who would get the chance to play against me on Superfan versus Stapes this week. And I was really hoping that someone worthy would win this lottery. Someone like, I don't know, like a Chad McVean. And guess what? Chad McVean won the lottery. Well, the first thing to say is everyone who applied, in my opinion, was worthy. Okay. Uh, cool. Before the deadline passed, 22 people submitted their applications. I entered all the names into an Excel spreadsheet, numbered 1 through 22. I believe Chad was the third person to apply, so he was number three. Then I did a Google search for random number generator. Give me a number between 1 and 22. And number three came up. So Chad has been invited onto this week's podcast. Thank you to everyone who did apply to be on the podcast. And also thanks to everyone who tried and failed to guess the identity of our special guest today. Um, I do need to start booking Superfans for 2022. In fact, I've already sent out some invitations, but we are always open to applications. So use Discord, use the dedicated channel on the PokerStars Discord server, link in the podcast description to come on the show next year. Excellent. Very good. Excited for that. Excited for Chad. Uh, not a lot to talk about in the movie and TV department by ourselves this week. I want to cover a little bit of that with uh, Eric when he comes in. But I did see Ghostbusters Afterlife, and uh, I can't really talk about it without major spoilers. Uh, I would love to be able to talk to you about this movie, James. Somehow okay. maybe it comes out on demand over the next few months. I don't know. Uh, I will say I mostly liked it, but I am so glad I saw it in the theater. I went and saw this theater, James. I don't know if they have these by you, um, where there's like rumble, like the, the subwoofer is like in the back of your chair. Dolby Atmos. 
That's what it is. The Dolby Atmos. And it was really, really fun. Like it made it probably raised the like one or two points on this movie that I wouldn't have liked nearly as much had I just watched it at home. So cool. that yeah, was really no- fun. Interestingly, uh, the movie you mentioned last week, 8-Bit Christmas, is just showing on Sky Movies here, uh, just on general rotation. So I've downloaded it and I will get around to watching that one. So hopefully Ghostbusters Afterlife pops up on some platform in the next few months. But yeah, not a lot of time to watch stuff because the Big 20 has been our primary focus, not just the last few weeks, but particularly the last few days because it's been ramping up as we saw the Rewind series come to a close and we streamed the last two events, the mini PSPC where we saw a Platinum Pass awarded and we gave away a Platinum Pass on stream. And then on Sunday night, we had the last Rewind event, which was the year of the arena. It was celebrating all the big buy-in events that we ran during the year 2020. So we had a 5K final table that was won by Lena 900. And then on Tuesday... Um, really fun stream last night for us because we're recording this on a Wednesday we had the Players Awards and this is a promotion we've talked a lot about in the last five weeks because it started all the way back on the 1st of November 10 categories 50 hands 5 nominees in each category you guys voted on the Pokestars blog and we revealed the winners in our little awards show as the pre-game to the finale stream on Tuesday night and we had a good chat about the winners with Maria Ho and I think for the most part there were some deserving winners and again no one who was on the shortlist was not deserving there's a reason why these five hands were shortlisted in each category but you know you can't complain when you put something out to a public vote you can't complain about the result you get back the last five years has taught us that um but there were a few examples where i did feel it became a little bit of a popularity contest rather than people necessarily judging which was the best play or which was the best hand but Hey, that's what awards are meant to do, right? They're meant to generate discussion, debate, controversy. Yeah, I think maybe next time we do it, we just do best Daniel Negreanu hand. Yeah. And best hand featuring a an A-list celebrity. And then we leave the rest of the categories up to, uh, to people that aren't going to win whatever category they're in, no matter what. I had a lot of fun doing the show, batting the uh, batting the categories around, discussing why I thought they won or why they should have won. Uh, it almost had me wishing that we had done like a little mini episode for each of the categories. But I would say maybe on the 40th. But I mean, wouldn't that be weird if you and I are still doing this in 20 years? I mean, <laughs> for the 30th anniversary, it's a stretch. For the 40th, no, I'm going to say no right now. Best James Hardigan Kane. Is it the black one he brought to EPT Moon? <laughs> Is it the green one he brought it to EPT Mars? So you talk about the fact that we should have highlighted these categories. I mean, not being funny, there was a YouTube compilation video that went out. You know, there were oh, two no, of no, them no. Every I'm not week. saying we didn't. I'm just saying that it would have been fun to like do a show where we talk about each of the categories and sort of give it the same treatment. Fair point. But ultimately, the winners, if you want to relive the, the, the stream, obviously you can. It's available as a VOD. But equally, there is a, a YouTube show, if you like, uh, presenting the five nominees in each category and the winner in each category. I believe that's going live this evening on Wednesday. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you can check it out on the Pokestars YouTube channel. Um, and then as soon as we'd presented those awards, or rather revealed the winners, we then segued into the finale itself, playing down from 72 to a winner. I mean, this event, I think we just have to recap the numbers because they are ridiculous. 
96,000 total entries in a $55 buy-in event with a $5 million guarantee with a 500K first prize. Plus, it had those 20K bounties on the team pros. That was 200K in head prizes, 300K in tickets awarded. So much value in this thing. We covered the very end of it, the last five hours of this three-day event, and it was everything. Was the play optimal? No. Did we see some questionable plays? Yes. Did we see some button clicking? Yes. Did we love every second of it? You betcha. Uh, What I love especially about it, and you can't have one without the other, is the fact that I believe our top winner for $439,000 uh, their previous biggest win was five hundred dollars. I think it was four hundred. I mean, potato, potato. Same difference. Um, a huge difference between that score and last night's result. Yeah, a heads-up deal in the end, right? Because I know that there was deal discussions when they were five-handed, four-handed, but no one actually clicked the button and crunched the numbers until they got heads up. Yeah, so there was a, a deal proposal multiple times. I think maybe as as much as six or seven-handed, there might have been a deal proposal. And the holdout as they went down to five, down to four, was the player who ended up finishing in second place. But he did, uh, we assume it's a he since man was in the name, uh, Irk Pokerman did end up agreeing to a deal once they got the heads up. You know I like that, James. You know I like when I see two players whose biggest scores are like, you know, a couple thousand and four hundred dollars not playing for for as big a difference as they could be, because I just like to see folks where obviously the money means a lot to them spreading it out as evenly as possible. Absolutely. Now, of course, the winning moment itself was fantastic earlier on. In fact, in the first hour of our coverage, uh, there was a huge laydown by a Russian player with Kings, folding Kings pre-flop to a four bet. And if you're asking, was it the correct laydown? I don't think folding Kings pre is ever the correct laydown, but particularly against Ace King, it wasn't. Now, obviously, that player then ladders up. So you could say, well, although I think it's one of those situations where you can say it probably was not the right thing to do. But again, it's just one of those moments that creates conversation, creates debate. And I'd like to think that we were honest and were constructively critical of some of the play we saw without hating on these guys because ultimately they're playing for money that they probably never played for before they're a lot of them are not professional poker players and it's all well and good to come out the gates blazing saying these people are terrible how did they get these far i could beat all of them but i don't necessarily think that that type of chat is healthy look i'm always going to take the opposite angle uh sometimes of the commentators, oftentimes of the audience, uh, regardless of how stupid it makes me look because I don't really care. Um, and in this particular case, folding ace, uh, folding kings to ace-king obviously looks bad. It's really easy to say. We just went over the whole sort of laddering up aspect of it. Yeah. And the, the, the opposite argument that I'll take that makes me look even stupider is we went on to see kings cracked like eight or nine times uh, from that point forward. And, you know, we forget about the point, the, the part that, like, you're still going to lose 30% of the time when you make that call. And 30% is a lot. So I have no issues with a player who knows that he is going to make X percentage of his yearly salary uh, from folding in, in a spot where you normally call. So I- I'll allow it. 
It's the classic, you can't lose what you don't put in the middle. Um, so as the Big 20 comes to a close, what starts is EPT Online. And we touched on this on the last stream. EPT Online, in fact, starts today, Wednesday, the 8th of December, and runs until Sunday, the 19th, with the main event actually not concluding till Tuesday, the 21st of December. So, of course, Prague has moved. Prague postponed from December it was announced on Monday that Prague will actually be taking place in early March of 2022, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, but EPT Online has come along to kind of, I guess, fill the void. Uh, as far as streams are concerned, you can check out the full schedule, of course, on the PokerStars blog. But as far as streams are concerned, we are going to be showing the Super High Roller final table on Monday, the 13th of December. And then after Joe and I go on our Christmas vacation, Mr. Nicholas Walsh will stream the final table of the 5K main event on Tuesday, the 21st. So good to have the EPT back, albeit online, hopefully live in Prague in the first few months of 2022. So Joe, our final podcast, looking back at the last two decades of poker history, uh, we had a lot of conversations about who we wanted to speak to and the different, I guess, segmentations of guests we wanted to cover off across these shows. And at the heart of it was, we need to speak to a player who for want of a better word, has been relevant for that period of time. Someone who's been a dominant force, or at the very least a significant presence on the poker circuit for the 20 years that PokerStars has existed. And to be honest, it's a big ask. There aren't many players on that list. People come and go. People come and go, and the players that are on that list are not easy gets, right? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about Doyle Brunson, not an easy get. We're talking about Phil Ivey, not an easy get. Factor in a bunch of players that we don't really do business with anymore, and it's a really pretty narrow playing field. And and for good reason, because these players, they don't have to. They don't, they don't have to do podcasts. They're not trying to keep a high profile anymore. They are who they are already. They're legends. Well, that's why we salute you, Joseph, for managing to pin down someone who has been relevant for more than 30 years. Runner-up in the 1988 World Series main event, winner of nine WSOP bracelets, a WPT champion, an EPT Super High Roller boss, a Poker Hall of Famer with more than $38 million in live tournament winnings. He is Eric Seidel, and he's with us right now. Eric, welcome. Uh, nice to be here. Thank you so much. This is so cool. Um, I, I know that you, you said you've never done a poker podcast before. No, yeah, this is the first one. So not only is this a big deal for us, but also it means I can't retread the same ground you've been over a million times before, which I often <laughs> end up doing. Uh, so let's let's just start at the beginning, if you don't mind. Like, I don't know anything about this. I don't think many people do either. What's your poker origin story? Uh, well, I started playing poker. I, I was I was a backgammon player, uh, and I was and I was in Vegas for a backgammon tournament. And uh, I knew some of the poker players. I knew Chip Reese and I knew Stewie and Puggy Pearson because they were backgammon players. Uh, so I just got interested in it, and I grabbed a pamphlet at the gift shop at the dunes it was two dollars uh you know david skolansky pamphlet and i read it and then i just sat down in a one two game and of course i was terrible uh but i ended up winning over over the course of a couple of days and and of course that's the worst thing that can happen because now now you're hooked 
<laughs> now $38 million later. <laughs> I was going to say, you say you're terrible, Eric. Are you saying that that Sklansky pamphlet was not the secret to your success and didn't set you on the career that you've enjoyed since? He deserves all the credit for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, so let's go back a little bit further then. What was it about your life that you were like, I'm going to be a gambler. I'm going to play backgammon professionally. Like you, you seem like a, like a, a really intelligent person who could have done anything. What drew you to, to that sort of life? I think it was more default setting. Uh, I didn't, I, I, I didn't really have a career path and I didn't really have a clue as to what I wanted to do. Uh, so, you know, I went to school and for about a year and a half and didn't really, nothing really appealed to me. And I did like gambling and, and, uh, I mean, I grew up with a lot of financial anxiety. So the, the idea of making money, uh, gambling and, and, uh, and, you know, I was generating a, a fair amount of income while I was still in school. And I just thought, oh, well, I'll just do this for a few years and then come back to school, which of course never happened. <laughs> yeah. So when, uh, instead of going back to school, uh, you're an East Coast guy, right? Did you, you, so you, Pick, take up poker in Las Vegas. How long from that point to you're just playing poker full time? Uh, I think it, I think it took a couple of years. Went back to the Mayfair, which at the time was a bridge and backgammon club. Played a little bit there, and then luckily at the time we we had a game or we a game started, and uh, they didn't allow pros in the game, so it was an opportunity to learn uh, from you know, while playing with a bunch of people that were in a similar position to mine where we didn't really know how to play. Uh, and that lasted for about a year. And after a year or so, they, they allowed some pros in. So we picked up Dan Harrington and Howard Letterer and uh, Jay Heimwitz, and the game changed a bit. But at that point, I had had a little bit of experience, so it gave me a chance to you know, to, um, to develop some skills, but I'm still pretty bad. It took me, it took me a few years before I started to understand, you know, starting requirements and things like that. I, I was definitely not a quick study. But crucially, you were a winning player during the 1990s. And if we had, if there's a Venn diagram, if you have the circle of winning players in the early 1990s and winning players, say 2015 to 2020, the overlap is going to be very, very small. Um, can you pinpoint wh why you think you've managed to remain uh, a force on the poker world for as long as you have? Uh, I, I don't know. I think maybe it's just a natural curiosity. I'm still like, I still love the game. I still, I still am really interested in playing it. Uh, and I don't know. It's just, uh, it, it's, I don't know that I could say anything specifically except that I, that I, I really just enjoy it. So I'm always curious about, you know, what players are doing, what, you know, what, how the game is advancing and, uh, you know, what I can do to adapt my game to, you know, to, to, to the current time. 
How do you take in that information as far as your curiosity? Is it just from watching them on TV? Are you active in forums, at least as a reader, if not a poster? Are you watching Doug Polk training videos? Like, what's uh, what's your method for staying? I should be watching the Doug Polk videos. I haven't seen any of them. Uh, I've looked at a little bit of the Run at One stuff, although not enough of that either. Uh, Jason Kuhn has been very helpful to me. Um, he's, you know, he's always willing to answer questions and things like that. And that I think I would probably be retired if I didn't have, you know, if, if, you know, a lot of the good players, uh, have answered questions for me and things like that. If that, if that didn't happen, I think I would just have to stop. I, I also took some lessons from, uh, Dan DeVores. Uh, he's been helpful. Uh, so, you know, it, it, because the game really has changed so much over the last, say, four years or so. Yeah. That, uh, it's really hard to, to keep up with, uh, with the, with the, the way the game has changed, especially at the top levels. I mean, I think I'm sure I could still get by if I just wanted to play, you know, 10 Ks and below. Uh, but the game, you know, the, the high rollers, the, you know, 25 Ks and above, have all just gotten so, so difficult. Yeah, I mean, I described you as an EPT Super High Roller end boss. I mean, I also highlighted many of your accomplishments, the World Series bracelets, the WPT title. The reason why I want to focus on the EPT is because I think it was defining to a lot of people about what I was trying to say about how different generations come in and maybe not disrespect the previous generation, but maybe think that they're better. And I think that that was exemplified in that Super High Roller in Monte Carlo, where a lot of people looking in would say, here we have the old school, Eric Seidel, heads up against the new school, Dmitry Ivanovich, a player who has absolutely crushed the High Roller circuit for a 12-month period. And you are too modest to say this yourself, so I'll say it. You ate his lunch. That was, uh, that. Uh, you know, I, I do feel, I feel a similar way about that high roller in the sense that and for me, it felt like something, something special, uh, you know, because it was a, it was a hundred K and it was against the best players in the world. And, uh, so that, that really did, uh, that was a very, it was a, that was a really exciting and, and, uh, um, it was a big win for me in terms of confidence and stuff, you know, uh, because, uh, because, you know, in the high roller circuit, my confidence ebbs and flows and, uh, and, and that, that tournament did give me a bit of a boost. You, you definitely got the boost afterward. What did you feel during it? Because for those of us on the outside looking in, sometimes we might want to attribute, uh, more to it than is actually happening. But I remember sitting there watching it live, commentating on it live and being like, oh, wow, like Eric Seidel is like really picking this guy apart is like really has just like like the Star Trek Borg has adapted to what he's <laughs> doing and has like just is just sort of like really going to town on him. Did it feel like that to you at, while it was happening also? Uh, no, no, I mean, I... I it's hard for me to really to, you know, when you're in the, when you're at the table and you're playing, you're just kind of playing and just trying to figure things out just trying to, you know, find patterns and find tells and, you know, see, but, you know, obviously 
you know, to, to get that final table, I don't, I don't think I had, I don't think I started with a lot of chips to, to get through that. Obviously you need a lot of good breaks and, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a good part of what happened. Um, Obviously, you you were playing long before the boom started, Eric. You were also playing long before poker started being televised. Is it fair to say that you are were skeptical about playing on TV and maybe had concerns about playing on TV? I didn't like playing on TV. I just didn't like. I, I it just it felt to me like poker was a game that really where you shouldn't be revealing cards and you shouldn't be giving, having, you know, tournaments where you're giving up all this information about how you're playing. I think I was, uh, on the, definitely on the, a a bit on the paranoid side in the sense that, you know, I, I felt like some of the things I was doing maybe were a little unique and I didn't necessarily want those, those things exposed. I don't know if that was, if, if that was totally true, but that was kind of the way I felt in those days. And, uh, and I just, I just didn't feel comfortable. I felt, I just felt like, and I still don't feel comfortable playing on TV. I, I, I don't like it. Um, but I mean, it has become the reality and, and, you know, and I certainly have recognized that since the, the, the TV has brought in a lot of extra revenue, you know, you see, you see, it's not as true now. There are, not as many sponsorships as there used to be. Sure. But, but there certainly are, you know, people like Daniel and Phil Helmet uh, making significant money. Uh, and I, I don't think that money would have come in without the, the TV being televised, without it being televised. And of course, when TV started, when the boom hit, anyone who, like yourself, was a consistent winner became a poker celebrity i know that's almost like an oxymoron but how do you feel about that how do you feel about being one of the people who is recognized as one of those poker ogs uh well i i don't i don't think i'm in the same that same category as people like daniel or phil it's not you know i'm not you know going and sitting in floor seats (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, hey, getting getting invited to big celebrity parties or anything. Wait, when you so, go to when you go to the next game, they don't put you on the jumbotron every uh, every quarter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I uh, you know, I I don't really get any kind of special uh, uh, spe- special uh, c- celebrity status. Um, but. Um, I mean, for me, actually, it's been kind of nice. If, if, if I'm walking down the street and somebody says hi or somebody recognizes me, I, I, you know, to me, it, it's almost always a pleasant encounter, you know, and I, and I feel like, you know, it's a nice thing that, uh, you know, that, that, that I've uh, done well enough that, uh, that, that, that it gets recognized. Um, you know, and and that's it's kind of the level I'm comfortable with. I don't know that that I that uh, that I could handle a, a, a greater level of attention. <laughs> so, um, so you know, I, I don't know. I I, I think it's uh, I I think it's been I think it's been fine. Well, I have to say that part of part of your reluctance for that level of attention has made some of the things that you've popped up in. Very, very entertaining. For example, 
The full tilt commercials back in the day, the uh, black and white full tilt house. I don't know if you know this. Your commercial was far and away the funniest one. Uh, and that, of course, is you dealing, wearing all of your World Series of Poker bracelets and then just like clanging. And I, I, I don't know if you knew at the time, but that was so funny. That was a great commercial. That really was. I mean, they, they hired some really, I mean, Errol Morris did, directed some of those commercials. Oh, wow. Um, I don't think he directed that one, but he but he did direct a few of the full tilt commercials. So they hired really good people, and they they had some good ideas. That they were fun. They they had some good ideas. So wh- when you say you don't like playing on TV that much, how much of that is don't like exposing sort of your style and your 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 thought process versus just not wanting to have attention? Yeah, I just prefer to play poker. You know, uh, <laughs> the way it used to be played at a table, you know, without, without, you know, without a million people watching. Uh, I don't know, you know, plus it, you make a dumb mistake, let, let it be your own dumb mistake. You know, it, you don't want it playing on YouTube for, for the next, uh, you know, uh, for the next generation. Well, the good news is that any mistake you make now because you're Eric Seidel will just figure out a way to try to say it's not a mistake. We'll be like, <laughs> right. Eric Seidel did this. Obviously, He's on a there's a different gotta be... level. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like he, right. must, he must be on the on the next generation of of poker strategy. Let's figure out what he's doing. <laughs> One thing, Eric, is that, you know, I I haven't known you very well like I've known other players over the years, but I've known people who do know you. And uh, a lot of one of the things that they said that they admire about you is that you also seem to have like a pretty good work life balance that you do enjoy other things. You enjoy music and movies and and pop culture. Um, Christy Gazes thought you had the coolest taste in music. Um, was like really always wanted to hit you up for your music recommendations. So I just wanted to know who are you into right now? If like you had your iPod or whatever it is you you're consuming, like who's currently on your, uh, your, your listening list. Uh, the gal I'm really in love with right now is, is uh, Valerie June. I would recommend her to anybody. She really is. Uh, she's a really special talent and she's just kind of emerging now. Uh, I, th- I think she's a couple out, a few hours maybe three or four albums into her career, but she's just, she's just a really special talent. And I, she's number one on my list for somebody that I want to see live. Uh, have you been to see anything live uh, post pandemic? Yeah, I have. I've seen, um, I've seen a few things. I saw uh, Steve Earl, I, you know, I, I don't know how often you get to New York, but the, we have a venue in New York city winery that just might be the best venue in the world. It's just, it's just so great. If you make it into New York, just book any show there because the, the, the space is so good. Um, I'll be there actually New Year's Eve. Uh, Yola Tango is playing there. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited about that one. Imagine yeah. if I just crashed Eric's New Year's Eve party. I was like, what's up, dude? You said you were going to be here. Like, it's me. It's Dave's. Like, let's yeah. hang. Hey, let's come chill. on down. It'd be fun to have you. <laughs> If we're going to talk uh, about pop culture, yeah. Eric, we have to talk about your appearances in pop culture. There's a movie, a TV show, and a book we need to discuss. Let's start with the movie. Let's start with Rounders. What did you think when you first saw this film? 
when I, well, when I first saw the script, I didn't react well to it. I was like, wow, that's really fucked up. That's understandable, <laughs> for sure, because I think it gave a bad impression of you to a lot of people. Uh, I'm the donkey here, yeah. Uh, but it, it, it didn't take me long before I realized, you know, uh, first of all, I was a fan of the director. And it just that it, you know, there's a certain amount of artistic license. And the truth is, he did outplay me. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they were making something up. Um, Chan was a much better player than I was at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I think overall, it's been a good thing. Um, and, uh, and it's, uh, they haven't made very many good poker movies. Um, and uh, that I think rounders is, is a decent one. Um, and, uh, you know, hope I, I, you know, it's weird actually. There are very few, few that are even watchable, right? <laughs> yeah. We tend to cover, we, every once in a while, you know, if there's a gap in the poker news or what's going on with stuff we can cover, we'll pick a poker movie and generally pick it apart. Um, there's only a couple that we sort of give overall positive reviews to. And that's as far as like pure poker movies. There's a bunch of movies that have poker in them that are pretty decent. Uh, you know, we had the the writer of California split on a few months ago. And that's one we really like. But, you know, those oh, are few fun. and far. Yeah, there's a few and far between, you know, um, yeah. uh, the, the rounders, California split, the card counter, uh, which I <laughs> would not classify as a poker movie, to be perfectly honest. Um so, I, but I would say that you're you're saying it's like pretty good is actually an even better review coming from you because your circles are sort of being represented there. So I think it would be really easy for you to have hated it and said this is nothing like what things were really like. It, it, does part of you feel that way? I think they did a pretty good job at capturing what the Mayfair was like. Uh, you know, obviously embellished, but. Uh... And I haven't seen it in a while, but I mean, my impression of it was, you know, it was it was a decent enough movie that people could see, you know, people could see it and get interested in poker. And I think it did impact. It brought. It, I think it did bring a lot of people into the game. It's oh, very hard sure. to tell what was rounders and what was uh, money maker and what was just the online explosion, because yeah. uh, that was sort of all mixed in at around the same time. Well. The uh, the last time we visited the movie, Eric, which was about a year ago, we decided to watch it with the poker player commentary track. And if you want a cringe-inducing, often hilarious experience, watch <laughs> Rounders listening to the thoughts of Phil Helmuth, Chris Moneymaker, Chris Ferguson, and Johnny Chan. Right. That's funny. Yeah. Did you decline to be a part of that? It feels like something they might have asked you about. I, when did when did this happen? Because I do remember being asked to do something along these lines, but it seemed it was, like it was more recently. It was straight after Moneymaker's win, so it would have been back in two thousand and three for like the special oh. the special edition DVD release. No, I, I don't know. I don't remember being asked to do that. <laughs> Maybe they knew better, given how uh, how they portrayed you in that. Let's move on to uh, to now. This was a really big deal when it happened. Um, Eric Seidel in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, uh, I remember everyone being super excited about this. How did this come about? Well, I love the show. It's really one of my favorite shows. I'm kind of obsessed with it. And uh, and there was just a charity thing where you could you could bid on. Uh, it was an Alzheimer's charity, 
my grandmother had Alzheimer's and it was really, it was, it was just, it's very weird to be with somebody who seems somewhat normal and, uh, and she, she, she didn't recognize her own daughter or her own son. Um, but, uh, so, uh, it was an Alzheimer's charity and I, and I just bid on it and I thought this, this would be fun. The truth is that once I got there, it was a little bit uncomfortable. It just felt kind of weird to be on set and be like, you know, I don't know. It, I, I felt a little, I felt a little strange about it. Um, <laughs> but I did enjoy it. And, uh, and it, it is fun that, that, it, that it exists and it, that it's there. Was it one of those situations where they were making you pretend to talk in the background? So you had to have like a fake conversation with someone you didn't even know that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. We were having a fake conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was there was awesome. one other person on the set who also had won the auction, or maybe it was a different auction. So there were a and couple of us. Did and did that afford you any FaceTime with any of the people working on it, or did they keep you separated? Uh, not really. I mean, it was uh, it was funny because I I thought that you know Cheryl Hines plays poker and Jeff Garland plays poker, so I, yeah, I thought that maybe they would know who I was. Um, but they didn't actually, nobody, nobody on the set, uh, recognized me except for one of the crew. Uh, and then, there, you know, there was a point afterwards after the shoot where they were like, let, you know, let's get you guys together for a picture with Larry David or something. And it just, the whole thing felt a little bit awkward. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just funny. Uh, but, but I, you know, I, I, I do love that show and it, it was, uh, it was, you know, funny to have a small part in there. Well, that's good because that's going to come up again in a minute. Uh, Look, last that, day, w- I was going to go say on, that there is an irony too apparent to comment on that the guy who doesn't want to be on TV actually paid money to be on TV. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, it was Curb. <laughs> it was Curb. That, uh, that is true. That's a good point. Last thing we want to touch on, obviously really big in pop culture, bringing poker into the mainstream over the last couple of years was the biggest bluff with Maria Konnikova. And I read the book, love the book, especially because I was mentioned. Uh, But I think that this sort of sort of relationship that you and Maria had could be the plot of like a pretty good movie. (laughs) And I'm just wondering if that's been discussed at all. Uh, it, it, it has been discussed. You'll have to talk to her for more details on that. Um, she, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought she wrote an incredible book. I really felt, uh, really, it was, it was a cool project to be involved in. And I mean, you know, obviously she's a great writer. It was, I think anyone who reads it, even if they don't play poker or is going to gain some insight and stuff, because she just, she has so many great observations. And, uh, and then the coolest thing is that she's still playing and she's playing at a very high level. I mean, she, you know, in some ways, because she's, she's been a little bit more involved with, uh, uh, some of the software, so in some ways, I feel like she's she's ahead of me. Um, she she played the World Series. She cashed a lot of times, um, and uh, her cash rate was really high. It was very it was very cool to see. She didn't break through in any tournaments, um, but she she had chips a lot and she got close a lot. And I'm I'm looking. I was just 
it was just so fun. It felt so good to see her there every day and to see her competing and and competing well and doing doing well. It was, so. it was cool to see the two of you together. It was really interesting to watch. Like, you know, this whole thing was a big deal and anything that brings poker into the mainstream a little bit more. And, you know, you're uh, we're a big part of that. Yeah. And, and remembering when we read the book and when we spoke to Maria last year, my biggest takeaway was Eric Seidel sounds like a really cool guy, a well-adjusted, intelligent human being who clearly knows a lot about poker. If I ever wanted to take poker lessons from anyone, it would be Eric Seidel. But also, I love the fact that you were a hard taskmaster and the way you just stopped her from moving up in limits and playing MTTs above her bankroll is awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I still do that myself. If it's a game that I don't, uh, you know, that I'm not that experienced in, I, I will start off small. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it just seems, seems like basic. Uh, I mean, what's funny is that she does have some gamble to her. So she was, she was willing to play in some of the higher tournaments. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm excited that she's, that she, she's still in our world and uh and to see you know because she's a busy person she's got a lot of stuff going on she wrote for a tv show recently she's she's doing a lot of projects still um but she's still finding time to play poker and uh you know i hope to see i, I hope she continues to play for years she's really i think she's huge added value for all of us um you know to, just and and the fact that she literally knew nothing about poker to get to where she was, it just she's a she's a very inspirational person. I, you know, when you if you just look at her doggedness, that just her uh, she just she just pursued it in exactly the way that you would want somebody to. Uh, it's really it, it. She's really an inspiring person. Totally agree. Hope she stays in the game, like you said. Hope you stay in the game for a while still, too, Eric. And uh, yeah, speaking I of hope games. So too. <laughs> uh, I just want, I prepared a Curb Your Enthusiasm trivia game for you. We're calling it Curb Your Eric Seidelziasm or Enthusadel. I'm not really sure yet uh, which we're going to go right. with. But uh, you mentioned you're a fam. It's just Curb Trivia. It starts pretty easy. It's multiple choice. Are you ready? I'm ready. I hope it's really easy because I'm terrible at these things. <laughs> we're starting off super, super easy. Here we go. Question one. Eric's background cameo appearance was in Season 7, Episode 8, in an episode entitled Officer Krupke. According to Larry, in this episode, in your very scene, what are the only two ways a person can injure their neck? <laughs> a car accident and what? Is it oral sex on a man, oral sex on a woman, oral sex on yourself, or oral hygiene gone wrong? And if you're not comfortable saying any of those phrases your first time ever on a poker podcast, you can say A, B, C, or D. It was oral sex on a woman, yeah. Ah, I even said it and everything. What All right, I'm glad you started off with an easy one. He's one for one. Question number two. In the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm entitled The Shrimp Incident, the utterance of what word gets Larry ejected from a poker game? Don't say it. Is it the F word, the R word, the C word or the M word? All right, I'm going to go with C just because I have no clue. I don't even know what the R or C are. So. <laughs> this is how sweet a guy Eric Seidel is. Can't even think of the R word. C word is correct, by the way. You're two for two. Okay. Okay, question three. Larry famously ruined the baseball career of Marty Funkhauser's nephew, Kevin. 
But how did Kevin die? Did he die climbing Mount Kilimanjaro? Was he trampled by a bull? Was it a peanut allergy? Or is he currently alive and well and playing for the Yankees? All right, let's go with peanut allergy. Peanut allergy does rear its ugly head at a certain point in this series, but no, Kevin Funkhauser was trampled by a bull in Spain following a prostitute that Larry hired for him. Sorry, Seth. This makes me think I need to rewatch all of them. I'm, I'm, I'm down for it. We could just do a podcast on, on Curb. Yeah. The Curb rewatch with Stapes and Seidel. Question four. Which Curb moment has Larry confessed to... Larry personally, in real life, has he confessed to making him tear up multiple times? Is it Bill Buckner redeeming himself by catching a baby? The Seinfeld reunion episode... Albert Brooks' alive funeral, or Eric Seidel's performance as man having lunch? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I will go with Bill Buckner, but I have, I, again, I have no clue. Bill Buckner is correct. Says every time he watched it in the edit, it did make him emotional. I actually got pretty emotional watching that episode, too. Really cool redemption for Bill there. Yeah, that was fun. Question number Five. I'm keeping track, and by my calculations, yes. you are three of four, Eric. He's crushing it. Who was Larry's co-star in The Producers? Was it Martin Short, Jason Alexander, David Schwimmer, or Pamela Anderson? Uh, wow, let's see. Jason Alexander? I believe the eventual co-star they landed on was David Schwimmer. Originally, it was Ben Stiller, right? Yes. And then Schwimmer is the one who ended up doing it with him. That's probably the hardest one. Uh, just two questions left. Here we go. Question number six. He, Larry actually ended up on Broadway after that. In, he, in the producers? No, he was. Uh, he had a show. I forget what it was called. It was a very tough ticket. Uh but he did. But he did. Uh, he did do a Broadway show. Did you go see it? I did. Yeah, yeah. Eric Seidel gets all the tough tickets. Question number six: Which phrase does Larry's friend Richard Lewis claim to have invented? Is it "No shit, Sherlock"? Another day, another dollar. The blank from hell, or all it takes is a chip and a chair. What were the first two? No shit, Sherlock. Another day, another dollar. And All right, let's go with another day, another dollar. The blank from hell is what Richard Lewis claims to have invented. Okay, this is the decider. You're currently back in uh -oh. 500, Eric. You're three of six, so you need to get uh -oh. the next question right to have a winning score. And I'm going to give you a choice because I wrote two questions here. Do you want a question that references Seinfeld? Or do you want a question that references Larry's Coffee Shop in season 10? Uh, let's go with Larry. Larry's Coffee Shop, season 10. Here we go. Season 10 ends with Larry's Coffee Shop burning down. For what reason did Larry op open the coffee shop in the first place? Was it love, greed, spite, or his childhood dream? Spite. Spite is correct. It's that puts Eric Seidel over the top, winning <laughs> score. Thanks for ending with an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great, that was, a, that, that was, last year was a really good one. That was fun. 
That was a great season. Yeah. James, not a fan of this one. I think this one's uh, is pretty solid. Where do you where do you fall for season eleven? Uh, I'm only three three or four in, and I like the first few, and then one was not great. That's kind of uh, where I'm coming in on this one. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm a couple episodes behind now. I kind of feel the Seinfeld reunion season is where we kind of like peaked, and everything since has been fine and better than average. Don't get me wrong, but it's kind of like, in some ways, I feel it's run its course. But there are still highlights in every episode and in every season. And as you said, Eric, that quiz just makes you want to watch all those classic episodes again. Um, thank you so much for taking part in that game. And thank you for agreeing to be on the show today. It's been awesome to speak to you. Okay. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. So we're going to close out this episode of the podcast. And in fact, this will be the final thing we do to celebrate the Big 20, the 20th anniversary of PokerStars, a special edition of Superfan vs. Stapes as we welcome back to Poker in the Is, Chad McVean. How you doing, Chad? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Maybe the superest of super fans. I don't know if you guys know what Chad's deal is. I actually don't know exactly what Chad's deal is, but Chad listens to our podcast the moment it hits podcast places, throws up a tiny little summary, puts a link out there so that I don't usually have to. I usually just like quote, tweet, chat, or copy and paste what he wrote. Um, what's what's your motivation? About, first of all, congrats on winning uh, this uh, lottery, I guess we'll call it. I mean, I don't want to do it like that because I assume it was a lottery, but man, I was hoping you would win and you did. Well, first of all, you haven't won yet. You're on the show, but to quote your own tweets, Chad, will Joe finally win a super fan contest? <laughs> well, he didn't beat me the last time we faced off, but it was close. I think we went into overtime. Um, but uh, my goal, my motivation is just trying to spread the word, get everyone to listen, um, put out whatever great poker content is out there, trying to grow the game. I and if my little tweet can do something to help that, I'm going to do that. I believe I appointed you president of Poker Podcast Promotion and Publicity, or I thought it's called it the Pop. Um, but remind us about yourselves, Chad. First of all, this ain't your first rodeo. You mentioned already you've been a super fan before. What was your specialist subject? Joe's favorite thing, the GPL. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. You went to Vegas. You went to see the Cube in action. I was in the Cube at one point, yeah. Fantastic. And uh, Joe was there doing commentary in a nice freezing warehouse. Chad couldn't wait to get in the cube. I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of the cube. So remind us about yourselves, Chad. Obviously, when you're not listening to slash promoting poker podcasts, what is your life about? Uh, well, I'm an accountant. So I basically am sitting at a computer all day long. And most of my work is just me and the computer. So uh, I have the ability to listen to podcasts while I'm working. Um, so that's what I do. Um, I play a little bit, um, uh, basically live when I can. It's been a little bit hard over the last couple of years with uh, pandemic and that, although I did make it to the World Series this year. Um, and uh, that's it. I love poker. I want the game to get bigger and better. And I want live poker to be more available everywhere. So, Chad, since you're an accountant and you listen while you work, if we just like set a bunch of numbers randomly every once in a while, would that fuck you up? I might. Yeah. Just do that. <laughs> uh, remind us where you are in the world, Chad. 
Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. How Beautiful. delightful. So, you know this is about the 20 years of PokerStars. And unlike most superfan quizzes, there are not 10 questions, there are 20, each one linked to a specific year from the Big 20. So we are going to go through this quiz in chronological order. The only decision I need you to make, Chad, is whether you want to take the odd-numbered years or the even-numbered years. I'm going to go with... I know which one I want. Let's say the odd numbers. Okay. Damn it. Already pissed off. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start in the year 2001, and you know this better than anyone, Chad. Two points if you can do it without without the options. One point if you need to take the multiple choices. In 2001, in which country was PokerStars founded? I'm going to take the choices because I have a very good idea, but I don't want to start off wrong. Okay, the options are Costa Rica, the Isle of Man, Israel or Canada? It's not Canada. Um, let's go Isle of Man. The one you dismissed is the correct answer. The Scheinbergs founded the business in Toronto, Canada in 2001. So I'm afraid you are not on the board. And Joe, you get question number two, which James, links. Yes. James, you know why I wanted the odd questions? Why? Because I can't even. 2002, Joe, was the year of what in the Big 20 Rewind series? 2002 was the year of what? Now, I don't think it was the Sunday Million yet. I think that was 2003. I think 2002 would have been the year of the MTT, but I'll take the choices. Was it the year of WCOOP, the year of SCOOP, the year of Moneymaker, or the year of the EPT? Hmm, maybe it was the EPT. 2003 would have been the year of Moneymaker, but Moneymaker... Uh, the year of... The year of WCOOP. It was the year of WCOOP for a single point, and for MTT, the record... WCOOP. Sunday Million was 2006. 2003 was indeed the year of Moneymaker. And your question, Chad, is who did Chris Moneymaker beat heads up in the 2003 <laughs> World Series of Poker main event? Sammy Farha. It was Sammy Farha for two points. I had, the, I had the picture in my head. I knew the last name. I'm like, what's the first that name? That was what's a the slow first roll. <laughs> that was a fucking slow roll. Okay, Joe. 2004, the first ever EPT. It was in Barcelona, but where was the second? Man, I want to say it was in Copenhagen. That's what's in my head. I might have to go with the choices just in case it's not there. But if it is and it's wrong, then I'm doubling. Uh, okay, uh, let's go with the choices, please. Okay, was the second EPT in 2004 in Dublin, London, Deauville, or Vienna? Okay, that's good. That's good. Let's go with London. It was London for a point. We have a tied game, but there is a bonus. Now, the bonuses equal out, guys. Don't worry. There are as many bonus questions for the odd numbers years as there are for the even numbered years. So your bonus, Joe, is who won the main event? Who won the main event in London? Yes, EPT London, 2004, Season 1 of the European Poker Tour. Who took it down? Brandon Schaefer. 
No, it was John Shipley. A reminder that bonuses don't pass across. 2005 was the year that the EPT stopped in Barden, Chad. Who won the inaugural Barden main event? I'll take the choices. <laughs> was it Patrick Antonius, Mark Telcher, Jan Bubli, or Sander Liloff? I can't believe I'm getting all the questions that don't have rap music associated with it. Um, Telcher? No, it was Antonius. Antonius, a day late by the time he got in, started at the bottom, finish on the top in Barden. Joseph, rap. you get the bonus. There was a bonus attached to this, but because you got the main question wrong, Chad, Joe gets the bonus. How many times did the EPT visit Barden? Once. Three times. So still a tied game as we go to 2006. And that's your question, Joe. In April 2006, PokerStars registered a milestone of how many players? A milestone of how many players? I thought they kept track of hands, not players. Uh, I'll go with the choices. Was it 500,000? 1 million, 5 million, or 10 million? 10 million. 5 million was the answer. So, Chad is, is shaking his head at me, the accountant. No, I'm I'm just thinking that I chose the wrong year. I should have taken <laughs> even because I've gotten all of yours. You Tell you what, Chad, when we get to the halfway point, I'll give you the option to switch. Ooh. 2007, which Dutch poker player became the first of the year to join Team Pro. So of all the Team Pro signings in 2007, the first was a Dutch poker player. Who was it? And don't think of the obvious. I'll take the choices. Was it Lex Feldhaus, Noah Boken, Marcel Lusk, or Rob Hollink? Dutch. Um... I don't know. Hollock. It was Noah Boken, and that means, Joe, the bonus passes to you. I would what? have, by the way, I would have, I was thinking Noah Boken until James says, don't think of the obvious. Then I'm like, oh shit, is it Rob Hollink? I would say that Lex would be the obvious one that people would go for. Okay. Uh, Joe, you do get the bonus associated with this question. The Poker Stars handle of Mr. Boken. Oh man, I should know this one. Uh, it is, it's one word. Ah, I can't remember it. Exclusive. Exclusive! Ah. 2008, it's your question, Joe. Who became the youngest ever EPT winner in February of 2008? Michael McDonald. Correct, for two points. McDonald, only 18 years old. Ah, uh, see, I get the rap ones. Right, so we're in 2009. At the end of this round, I'll give you the option, Chad, but right now you get the odd-numbered question. The Million Dollar Challenge was in 2009. Mike Kozowski needed what river card to beat Daniel Negreanu and win $1 million? Don't need the suit. It was a very specific rank of card that he needed. Uh, choices. A king... A deuce, a five, or a date with an eight? 
think I studied the wrong stuff. I'll take the eight. It is an eight for one point. Ah, nice one. Here we go with the 2010 question. Oh, Joe, you should know this one. The name of the first ever loose cannon on the PokerStars big game. Ernest Wiggins. For two points. Joe taking a strong lead now. Okay, Bonus I can't question. complain anymore about getting bad questions. I've had two I knew off the bat. All right. Bonus question. What color shirt did Ernest wear? Purple. It was pink. Okay, so here's the deal. We're halfway through the quiz. Joe leads by six points to three. He has a two-to-one advantage over you, Chad. Still ten questions to go. Do you wish to switch and take the even-numbered years instead? Sure. Okay, <laughs> so that I'm means, sure it'll backfire. So that means Joe gets the question related to 2011. How many stops were on the EPT Season 8 circuit? Uh, I'll take the choices. 7, 10, 13, or 14? 13. For a point. Well done, Joe. 2012. Who became a Triple Crown winner with victory in the EPT Berlin main event in 2012? Choices. Davidi Katai. Jake Cody, Neil Farrell, or Elkie? Elkie. It was Davidi Katai. Oh. Joe, 2013. What is the name of the London casino that PokerStars partnered with in March of 2013? The Hippodrome Casino. For two points. It's still within reach, Chad. Still within reach. What two hold cards did Ronnie Barda fold to Sarah Shafak's bluff on Shark Cage? I would not know this one without the choices. I have an idea, but I'd need to hear them. Yeah, I had that. I need to make up points. Um... I'll take the choices. Ace-deuce, pocket sevens, eight-four, or pocket fours? Okay, well, the two I was trying to decide are neither of the choices, so that helps. I, um, I, I would have said, if I got no choices, I would have said King Jack, so. <laughs> I would go with um, ace-four. Eight-four. Ace four is not one of the options. Ace oh. deuce, sevens, eight four, or pocket fours. Oh, sir. Uh, ace deuce. It was eight four. Eight ace four. deuce. Oh, I should have. Yeah. Ace deuce was actually Sarah's hat cards in that hand. That's okay, Joe. You get twenty fifteen. Who did Steve O'Dwyer beat heads up in the super high roller at PCA twenty fifteen? Roger Sipple. Correct for two points. Twenty sixteen. Which poker player had to lunge everywhere they went in order to win a prop bet at PCA 2016, Chad? Uh, the magician, Estefanari. Um, Antonio Esfandiari, correct, for two points. Not, uh, it was not a good result. It was not a good <laughs> result. Uh, for the bonus, can you tell me who was the prop bet against? Bill Perkins? It was against Bill Perkins. There you go, three points there. Okay. Joseph. Yo. 
The original idea for the PSPC was conceived in 2017. How many players ended up playing the first PSPC? I'm just gonna say a number out loud, and then I'll take the choice. Nine, seven, eight, nine, eight, nine. Go ahead, the choices. Was it 739, 989, 1039, or 1089? I'm gonna go with 989. It was 1039, and that means the bonus passes to you, Chad. In which city was the PSPC announced to the public in 2017? It was an EPT stop, which one? I want to guess Monte Carlo. It was in Prague in December Prague. Okay. of 2017. It is your question. Who won a platinum pass through Lex Veldhaus's PSPC It Forward promotion? Is that early Shaban? Would you like the options? I'd like the options. <laughs> okay. Was it Ali Shaban, Nikhil Segal, Benjamin Alvarado, or Oliver Biles? What was the second option again? Nikhil Segal. I'll go with Nikhil Segal. It was Benjamin Alvarado. So Don't we come to the final okay, round. That would have been my absolute last choice. I would have guessed yeah. all three of the other ones before that name. In 2019, who won the EPT Sochi main event? Uh, it was some, some uh, really complicated Greek name or something. Give me the choices, please. Was it Simon Brandstrom, Manig Lurza, Yuri Gilboa, or Zakhar Babayev? Yuri Gilboa. It was Yuri Gilboa for a point. And Chad, in 2020, which online crusher won five scoop titles in nine days? I'll take the choices. Was it... Connor Drynan, Talal Shakurchi, Yuri Martins, or Yussi Nevenlina? That's a tough one. Connor Drynan? It was Connor Drynan for two points, but it's not enough. Eight points for Chad, 12 points for Joe Stapleton. So to answer your question, Chad, Joe Stapleton has won a superfan quiz. Therefore, Joe <laughs> wins the prize. However, these are the rules of superfan versus Stapes as I'm now deciding them. Joe <laughs> is ineligible to win the prize. That means the prize goes to second place. That's how we work things during the Big 20. So, Chad, you are going to get the special prize that we had set aside for this Superfan contest. And I'm delighted to tell you, Chad, that you have just won a platinum pass to the second ever PokerStars oh Players my God. Nola Beholden Holy Championship. Holy shit. Oh, man. Sorry, I just went right over you. I had no idea this was happening. Wow. Sorry, James. Oh, my God. What a prize. Holy shit. Hey, Chad, you fucking deserve it, man. They're going to have to bleep this out, but I don't care because I am full wow. of emotion for you. Congratulations. Thank hey, you. Look, it's no shock you couldn't beat me in a quiz about my own life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just went off of those from what I could remember and then studying through those 
those 20 year posts that have been going out just to get an idea. And wow, I was, uh, when I was in Vegas, uh, in October, I was helping Robbie uh, Straczynski run that mixed game challenge where the platinum pass was up and I tried, <laughs> I got knocked out in 15th and, um, but you know, Raymer won that one. Oh man. Wow. That's I would really never, cool. oh, I couldn't believe that. Well, wow. here's, here's the thing, Chad. We know that the PSPC has been postponed a couple of times. I'm yeah. sure there'll be clarification soon on when it will be taking place. But to quote Shakira, whenever, wherever, I'll be there. You'll be near. That's the deal, my dear. I'm going to quit this metaphor. It's not working. <laughs> Ultimately, you get to play the PSPC courtesy of us. And I believe I concur with Mr. Stapleton in saying it will be deserved. I'm speechless. He is speechless. That's awesome. Wow. Congrats, man. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Chad. And uh, we will see you very soon. Yes. Oh, man. Man, I'm sorry. You know, there's a very famous moment in um, in EPT history where James is brilliantly calling the win of something and someone is yelling in excitement over him. And a lot of people think that was me. It wasn't. I'm not going to throw that person under the bus, but I just did it in the last segment. And now I understand what it's like to be so shocked by what I just saw that I couldn't keep my excitement in super stoked for Chad. As we've established, Joe, it's easier. It's cleaner if we don't tell you stuff in advance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was really happy to be surprised by that too. I did feel like I won it. So I'm pretty <laughs> happy about that. Uh, my babies, that is just about all the time we have got for this week's show, for this season's show, for this year's show. James, when are we back? So by my calculations, the 13th of January, and that, by the way, will be the release day. So We are going to be doing a live stream on Tuesday the 11th. We are going to be recording a podcast on Wednesday the 12th. That should be out in the world by Thursday the 13th of January. So actually, we're only away for roughly a month. Uh, During that time, I hope everyone is able to enjoy the holiday season, maybe a bit more than they did last year. I know things aren't looking great right now, but... You know, ultimately, whatever you do, stay safe, have fun, and we will see you in the new year. All right, very good. Don't forget to use Discord in the meantime to comment on the show, submit your super fan applications, keep in touch with us, but not too much. Okay, let's let's just keep it to one one or two media at, at, at most, please. I, just I'm going to say, give guys, us a break. <laughs> please don't be offended if I don't log in to Discord for like I don't know two weeks. Uh, 10 days give me 10 days of no discord i will give you 10 days i will allow it uh have a great happy holidays and a happy new year everybody we're going to be back next year with lots more cool stuff so stay tuned but for now that is all the time we have got for this week's show for james hardigan i am joe stapleton smell you in 2022